morning. As you, as you all um, probably know, I, I, I was actually born in New York, in the Bronx, but I was raised mostly in California, Southern California, where um, it's pretty much um, chaparral and um, very semi-arid, and um, it doesn't rain much. Matter of fact, most of the year it doesn't rain at all. And um, I was trained to wash my hands, put soap on my hands and turn off the water and rub the hands and then turn back on the water and rinse the hands. And the same thing in the shower. And um, many ways that we're taught just to be aware of water as precious. So, <laughs> to be here with all this water is, um, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I mean, it runs in the streets and puddles. It's a blessing water just coming out of the sky. <laughs> As I don't really know how to be with it very much, I brought my, um, I have a big umbrella and I brought it this morning to the Zendo as I was walking down the street and it's blowing all over the wind. <laughs> You know, and then I had to, I was, I bought something, so I had to fold it up, and everything got wet, and, and I couldn't carry it while I was carrying the umbrella, and it's a different way of life. <laughs> it's kind of neat. We've been um, talking about various stories in our Zen heritage about suchness, basically. Yeah, I'm sorry, but um, do you mind asking if people can't hear you? Yeah, if Just you can't. it's the rain and... and you know, okay. Just, okay, okay, thank you. If you, if, you, if you aren't able to hear me, raise your hand and then I'll... That's it. You can't hear me, huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about um, suchness, the story of suchness, the way it has come to us and and it's wonderful all the stories are wonderful and the teaching of course is wonderful but um, sometimes we err on the side of this uh, emptiness business and I just wanted to remind us today that um, there is the other side and in fact when emptiness is uh, known deeply, what arises really is love. And in a way, um, we could call all of this the teaching of love, of unconditioned love. Because without that, 
Um, the teaching of emptiness is dangerous even and not the truth really so I wanted to bring it up today in particular because we're going to have a Sangha meeting after this <laughs> so I wanted to remind us as a kind of an approach or an attitude toward whenever we have meetings together that before the meeting, I think that we should stop and sit a little bit and just remember where we're coming from and what actually is really important. So this is a little four lines about emptiness from Wei Nang, the person we're going to talk about today. Here is his little four-line poem. Confused by thoughts, we experience duality in life. Unencumbered by ideas, the enlightened see the one reality. So even though it's talking about emptiness, it's also talking about love. And more specifically, the Buddha taught about the four immeasurables or the four divine abodes This is what he said to Rahula, his son. Practice loving kindness to overcome anger. Loving kindness has the capacity to bring happiness to others without expecting anything in return. Practice compassion to overcome cruelty. Compassion has the capacity to remove the suffering of others without expecting anything in return. Practice sympathetic joy to overcome hatred. Sympathetic joy arises when one in one, when one rejoices over the happiness of others and wishes others well. Practice non-attachment or equanimity to overcome prejudice. Non-attachment is the way of looking at all things openly and equally. <coughs> this is because that is. Myself and others are not separate. Do not reject one thing only to chase after another. And then I was thinking, if we can't do that perfectly, or even a little bit, at least what we should do together is practice kind speech. Let's make that the bottom line. Let's make kind speech, in general, what we help each other with, that we agree that we will speak with each other with kindness. So what does that mean when you're in a meeting? It means that before we speak, let's check in with ourselves And just notice if you're coming from a place of openness and a sense of connection, or if you're coming from a place of separation and judgment. Now, 
I'm not saying that, I, as I said before, I'm not saying that being in community means that we're supposed to always be harmony, harmonious with flowers <laughs> raining down. Because we're not that way, you know. We're, I just, yesterday, I, so embarrassing. I lost my mind. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> anyway. So we're not, you know, we're not perfect. There's going to be disagreement, and that's fine. And we can work it through. We'll work it through. But our intention is, at least as much as we can, to come from a place of clarity before we offer whatever we are going to offer, even if it's disagreement, is fine. So we're going to be practicing uh, the third jewel this afternoon. Right? The Buddha Dharma Sangha is the third jewel. So use it well, support it well, and treasure it. It's one of the three treasures. So um, the other thing I wanted to say was, again, I wanted to thank people for coming during the week to sit. And I just, I did want to say that um, if we talk one-on-one, -on -one, I do expect you to come. I ex do expect to see you you know, in the Zendo sitting. And I appreciate the people who have made that effort recently. It's a question of choice and priority. And I, I know it's hard, and I appreciate that. It's, it's especially hard, I think, in New York. So I'm learning. But still, I want to see you. Makes me feel good. <laughs> totally selfish. <laughs> okay, so we've been studying um, the history of suchness, the, our particular lineage, and we started with um, the Buddha raising up a flower and Mahakashapa's smile and Bodhidharma's I don't know. And Huayka's, I'm just clearly aware. So let's remember, again, that our practice is not about getting rid of anything. It's not about making ourselves better. It's about waking up. It's just about being clearly aware without attachment. And if we're attached, then we see that. That's what we're doing. We're, we're seeing clearly. So um, last time we talked about the third answer, ancestor who uh, was teaching us about non-duality, encouraging us to be beyond concepts in that beautiful, beautiful uh, poem that he wrote, song that he wrote, Trust in the Mind. 
And today we're going to talk about Huinang, who is the sixth ancestor. And the sixth ancestor is really the last of the founding ancestors of Zen. By the time we get to the sixth ancestor, it's already very Zen-y. The, the feel and taste of our practice is pretty much there. And we've moved from the Indian um, fun and is that thunder? Ooh. <laughs> Does it happen again? <laughs> we move from the um, fun that the Indians have with um, philosophy and, and um, really exercising the mind in that way. We'll do that sometime too with people who are really dense and difficult to understand. It's a wonderful way to, to uh, investigate our teaching. But we move from that to our style, the Zen kind of style, which is about, is beyond words and concepts, very clearly uh, transmitting beyond ideas and emphasizing direct experience of what is. So, so let's jump in and talk about uh, Wei Neng. Wei Neng, uh, his, when he lived, it was just at the beginning, I think even a little bit into uh, what is the height of Chinese, I think still considered the height of Chinese cultural um, golden age, which was the Tang dynasty. And it was during that time that Zen uh, developed the five houses of Zen um, and uh, all of the koans and the classic stories that um, we read about are all, all happened during this time, during the Tang Dynasty. And Huineng is just at the beginning of that. It's a very rich and exciting time for Zen. And uh, there were many um, Zen masters on the top of different mountains. And the mountain, they were named after the different mountains. And students would go from one mountain to another mountain. And there were a lot of pilgrim, pilgrim Pilgrimages. Pilgrimages, thank you. <coughs> happening. And um, the five, there were great uh, masters, and these masters had lots of students, and so they were called the house of so-and-so, the house of so-and-so. Not at the time, but now we look back at it and see it that way. The five houses were Rinzai, Soto, Yunmen, Fayan, and Kweishan, five great teachers. But interestingly enough, only two of them are existent now, extant now, Rinzai and Soto, and both of those come from Weineng. Mm -hmm. So this guy is a giant for us. So his story is, is that, uh, you know, it's a legend, partly a legend, I'm sure, but some of it is really true. We know more about him than we know about some of these other people, like Bodhidharma, and even our third ancestor. So we know more about him, but still, um, I think it was 
um, the legend was embellished to point to certain things. For one thing, it's said that he was very poor and uneducated. And of course, you know, for Zen, the guy would be uneducated because it's beyond words and teaching. Right? So it, it's very convenient that he's uneducated and yet has great understanding. So, so he's uneducated, he's very poor, and he, in fact, his father dies when he's very young and he's raised by his mother. And um, one day while he was with his mother, selling wood, I think, no, I'm sure selling wood, I think he was with his mother. Um, he goes and he sells wood to a household. He also chops the wood, he chops wood, wraps it up, carries it, and then sells the wood. <laughs> Smells the wood, you know, listens to the chop of the axe on the wood when it splits, makes that great splitting sound. He was a wood cutter. And interestingly enough, um, the, the sutra that he heard as he was passing by, a person was reading a sutra, the sutra is called the Diamond Cutter Sutra. So it's cutting wood, and what woke him up initially was this Diamond Cutter Sutra, which um, someday we'll read here. Anyway, he, he's selling wood, and, and uh, he, there's somebody sitting there reading this sutra, and he comes to this particular line, and it strikes him. So, he must have been, in his youth, he's 25, around 25 at this time, he must have been in his youth already interested in wondering about his mind. Probably so, I think so. <coughs> so this is the line. You should activate the mind without dwelling on anything. So I looked up other kinds of translations and they're not really very different. It's pretty much that. You should activate the mind without dwelling on anything. Here's another uh, way of saying it. You should raise an unsupported thought or therefore all bodhisattvas should develop a pure lucid <coughs> mind not depending upon anything. Or a bodhisattva should develop a mind that alights upon no thing whatsoever. And this was the basis of his teaching, this line here, because he emphasized a mind flowing, like awareness flowing, but not getting caught on any of the content of what it uh, arises in it, of what arises in it. So it became really the basis of his um, teaching. So immediately, of course, he understood something and he asked the man what he was reading and who teaches this. And the man said, um, Honren teaches this and I think you should go because I just read this and you had some real understanding and I'll give you some money and you could use that to take care of your mother and then go ahead and visit this great teacher, which he did. He took the money, took care of his mother. In this case, <laughs> In this case, he took care of his mother. There's some stories that the guy leaves and doesn't take care of anything. And there's some question about those people. <laughs> there must be some teaching in it, but I don't understand it. So he takes care of um, 
his mother and he goes to this mountain where Hong Ran was teaching and he has an interview with him and um, in during the interview it was clear to Hong Ran that this guy was a little bit special so he he accepts him even though he's illiterate he accepts him and he asks him to go work in the kitchen so um, some people and myself are studying Dogen's Tenzo Kyokun which is all about working in the kitchen so I just want to I just want to point out here that this guy is a really good student and he sends him to the kitchen to work. I'll get you guys there. <laughs> and so then time goes by and he's practicing. He's in the kitchen making offering of himself and the food and the rest of the community of monks are doing monk things in service and sitting and so on and so forth. And then one after a few years, Hong Ren tells the community that he wants the community to write a poem about their understanding of emptiness. And um, the monks flutter about, you know, because it's, um, you know, to actually come forward with your understanding is, uh, it makes you very vulnerable, you know, and then there are all these judgments you think, how other people think about you, and comparative mind comes up and it's very uncomfortable. And it happens all the time in you know, communities that are supposed to be uh, getting better. So the monks uh, all kind of decide anyway that they don't really have to write a poem because the head monk obviously is the head monk and so the head monk knows more presumably than everybody else. So the head monk will write a poem and it'll be better than everybody else's so why should I write a poem anyway? And they don't. And so you can imagine the head monk knows this and the head monk is sitting in his own um, little room um, being really you know, worried about this whole thing. <laughs> Isn't it sweet? Because of course he would, you know. I mean, he doesn't want to be the only one. He's supposed to be the head monk. Is his poem going to be up to snuff? And then he'll be really embarrassed, right? <clears throat> oh, I forgot to tell you. The reason why Hanman wanted to the community to write this poem was because he told the community that whoever wrote the best poem would be given the robe and bowl that he had inherited from the third ancestor and this person would be the sixth ancestor. No. <laughs> There's something wrong there. He had inherited from the fourth ancestor. Right. I'm reading this great book at home called The History of Pi. It's a history of, it's a history of pi. It also has a lot of mathematics in it, stuff like that, so it's fun to read. I don't understand it, but <laughs> but I understand the concepts, but I don't understand how they get there. You know, I don't understand the math. Anyway. So anyway, he writes, you know, he um, secretly at night, he goes to a wall and he writes his poem on the wall. And this is his poem. The body is a Bodhi tree, the mind a standing mirror bright. At all times, polish it diligently and let no dust alight. 
This is a pretty good poem. It's a pretty good poem about practice. You know, it's pretty much kind of what we do. You know, we are looking at what is, you know, covering the so-called mind of original mind, and, and if we wipe it clean, then the original mind will be there, and, um, and, and we'll be perfect people. <laughs> There's nothing really wrong with this poem, really. And in fact, the person, the Shenshu, who wrote the poem, turns, it was a very, turned out to be a very good friend with Wei Nang. They liked each other, and they knew each other. They practiced together in the same monastery. And you become really good friends with people you practice together in the monastery, which is why I want you to do that here, because you develop really good friends when you go through this mucky stuff together, and they, you, know, you help each other and argue with each other. You end up being the best friends with the people you have the most difficulty with, and sometimes. So they were friends, and, um, but, but the, the technique that they were using to teach was quite different. His technique is called, was eventually called the gradual school, and Wei Neng's uh, style was called the sudden school, and everybody besides them had these big, huge arguments about which one was better. But the two of them used to send um, their students, if one of their students was not really having a good time with that particular teacher, he would send it to the other teacher, thinking that that would be a better place. They did that with each other. So they were fine, you know, but everybody else thought one was better than the other, one way was better than the other. So anyway, um, this poem is put on the wall and uh, the teacher comes by and says it's a really good poem and that everybody should memorize it and um, the, head, the head, head student was, you know, relieved, greatly relieved. And everything was going on really well, except that one day, a monk who was reciting this poem out loud passed by the kitchen. And our guy hears the poem, and he thinks, I don't know, I don't think so. Maybe I can express my understanding in a different way. <coughs> so he, he goes to somebody and says, you know, I have a poem too. And the guy says, you know, who are you to have a poem? You don't, can't even read. You know, you're a literate nobody. You can't possibly have a poem that would merit, warrant putting up on the wall. And Poinang um, says, yeah, probably, you know, you're right. But, um, but I do have a poem and maybe, you know, you could, I could tell it to you. And then if you think it's okay, put it on the poem on the wall. So he, he says the poem, and in fact the guy does think it's a good poem, and so he writes it on the wall at night secretly. And this is the poem. There is no Bodhi tree, nor a stand of a mirror bright, since all is emptiness, where can dust alight? So, um, it's a pretty good poem. So, um, the teacher passes by the wall and he looks at the poem and he says, well, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, um, but we should erase it right away. And um, they erase it and he says to 
Koinang secretly though, come and see me tonight at 12 o'clock. And he does. He knocks on the wall, on the teacher's door and comes in. And Hunren teaches him something of the Diamond Sutra, the very sutra that he had read, uh, that he had heard originally that woke him up. And this is what uh, he taught him. He um, read this passage, to use the mind yet be free from any attachment. That all dharmas are inseparable from the self-nature. And then Wei-Nang said, how amazing that the self-nature is originally pure. How amazing that the self-nature is unborn and undying. How amazing that the self-nature is inherently complete. How amazing that the self-nature neither moves nor stays. How amazing that all dharmas come from this self-nature. And then Honren said, if one recognizes the original mind and the original nature, they are called a great person, teachers of gods and humans and a Buddha. And then, in the middle of the night, he passed the robe and the bowl, the begging bowl, which was the symbol of the Dharma seal, to Hui Nang. And he told him, <laughs> this is interesting, he told him that the monks in the monastery were going to be really jealous and that he should leave immediately. And that in fact, he himself, the teacher, will row him across the river. And while he did, of course, they were still talking and so on. And he gave them instruction, and one of the things he told him was to not to teach for a long time, hide, and don't teach for a long time, which he did. He didn't teach for a very long time. And then, after many years, he went to a temple and he was hearing two monks um, talk, discuss something, and this turned into a koan, a famous koan. And the two monks were watching a flag blow in the wind. And one monk said to the other monk, it's the wind that's moving. I think that's what he said. And the other monk said, no, it's the flag that's moving. Flag of the wind, I mean, what else could it be, right? But when Huineng heard this, he said to the monks, no, it's your mind that's moving. And at this time, the monks turned to him and asked for teaching. This is very common. And then soon, many monks uh, came to him. And he settled in, on a mountain and became a very great, great teacher in our lineage. And we studied his... <coughs> Sutra, and he's the, it's called a sutra, it's the only thing that I know of that, not written by the Buddha, that has that name, sutra. So, um, 
I think the main thing that I've said over and over that I'll just say once more, um, it's mostly about non-attachment, even to a sense of emptiness. It's a thoroughgoing non-duality. Even to non-duality, right? So some place that accepts, or as Greg and I have been talking about it, that understands the truth being not one and not two. So it's a direct experience of this acceptance of, a deep, deep acceptance of things the way it is, or as Suzuki Roshi said it, things as it is. See, not one, not two. Things as it is. A deep acceptance of suchness without attaching to any of it. Or as Jesus would say, you know, in the world but not of it. So I, um, I picked a psalm from the Bible to leave you with. Blessed are the man and the woman who have grown beyond their greed and have put an end to their hatred and no longer nourish illusions. But they delight in the way things are and keep their hearts open day and night. They are like trees planted near flowing rivers which bear fruit when they are ready. Their leaves will not fall or wither and everything they do will be a blessing. So that's our um, sixth ancestor. And um, next time we'll study People who really, I mean, it's really clear, it's very zenny. Start studying very zenny things. But like I said in the beginning, you know, zen is a word. You know, practice is a word. And our way is to look beyond how words clunk everything, you know, make everything things. So when you relate to each other in uh, the Sangha meeting, try to see a little bit beyond things. Try to see a little bit beyond concepts. You know, have a sense of our connectedness, our, <coughs> our oneness, you know, person is there, not one, right? But also not two. And let's try to be with each other that way when we meet. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.